Are you ready for tomorrow, or is tomorrow ready for you? Now, the difference in those two questions are absolutely polar opposite. Are you ready for tomorrow? Is tomorrow ready for you? One is an offensive, one is a defensive. Are you ready for tomorrow? You don't know what's going to hit you tomorrow. You don't know what's going to blindside you tomorrow. There's a lot of things about tomorrow you don't know. But, but are, you, are you ready for it? Or is tomorrow, this would be a, a much more offensive posture, is tomorrow ready for you? Now, again, you might say, hey, the, we just need to take one day at a time, and I'm with you. Don't borrow anxiety from tomorrow. I'm with you. Scripture speaks of that. We don't need to be focused on that. But there is much to say about thinking into the future, planning for the future. I mean, there's much to say in the Scriptures about how we in our own lives, are we ready for eternity? Not just tomorrow, are we ready for eternity? Even business leaders realize the value of no matter where you are in your business practices, no matter where you are, you need to be thinking about tomorrow, thinking about the future, building for the future, building the infrastructure, the ideas, the dreams, the direction for the future. Raymond Brady said it like this. He said, it never pays in business to get so bogged down in the problems of the present that you lose sight of the future. Either it's opportunities or it's pitfalls. There always must be in a leader's mind, and I think that's probably one of the greatest marks of a leader who will really make is the, diff, the ability to see the future before the future ever comes. Think of the Steve Jobs. Think, think, of, the, think of the Sam Waltons, who were able to see something long before it ever became a reality, built the infrastructure, built the practices around it, before it again ever became a reality. Are you ready for tomorrow? Is tomorrow ready for you? As you move forward in the vision. Now, we have been talking about vision. If you're first time with us or you haven't been with us in some time, then you've been in a series uh, through the book of Nehemiah. As Nehemiah had this tremendous vision for what God was doing. And part of that vision began to break up. In fact, I would say this. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, we're really at the halfway juncture. And we'll... We're at this halfway point, and I say that not just because it's chapter and verse halfway, but because we are now finishing phase one. Phase one is finished. Phase one being the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem, the setting of the gates around Jerusalem. But it was phase one only. In in, in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1, it says it like this, And when the wall had been built... Now, if you were here with us two weeks ago when we talked about them building the walls. It took 52 days to build the walls. We talked about how the people rallied around and and how it was accomplished and how it was a celebration moment for them. It says here, and the wall was built and I had set the doors and the gates. Now at this point, if you remember back in chapter 6, the gates weren't in place. But now we're saying the punch list has been punched. Everything is in order. The, The gates are hung. The doors are locked. The walls are built. Everything is secure. It's finished, right? It's finished. This is what we came for. This is why he was sent back from King Artaxerxes. And also notice this, though. He says, and the Levites had been appointed. It wasn't just that the walls were built. I want you to notice something here, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, but just notice that not only is it building the walls, but there's a balancing act here. They were physically ready for the enemy, but they had to make sure also that they were spiritually ready for the enemy. 
The Levites were also in place. doesn't even fit with the walls because the Levites didn't take care of the walls. The Levites took care of the worship and the temple. But there was no segregation. There was no compartmentalization between my physical duties, the things that I do day to day, building walls at that point, on that day, and making sure I'm spiritually ready. Let me ask you again, are you ready for tomorrow or is tomorrow ready for you? In the spiritual directions and the workings of God that He's done in your life, can you truly say that not only what you're doing physically in the outer world, that God is doing spiritually in the inner world? And the inner world and the outer world are keeping pace with one another. Because not only were the walls finished, but the Levites were in place, and the singers were in place, and they were moving forward. It's a beautiful story there. And I love it that the fact, as we go through this, this series through the book of Nehemiah, how you see just the progression from the very beginning. And again, we're going to kind of go, go back and revisit that for just a second. But I, I just want us to see how God shapes and moves and, and rearranges and, and adjusts and challenges us through the visions that He calls us to the directions and the new directions that He calls us to. It's beautiful. And I hope that you can say with Jeremiah 29, 11, I hope that you can say in your heart, the Lord has a plan for me. And I'm living in that plan. I know the plans I have for you. Now let me ask you a question today again. The plan that you have, is it the same as the plan that God has for you? I know the plans that I have for you. God has a plan for you. It's a beautiful plan for you. For welfare, not for evil, for a future and a hope. And I love that. And the thing is, is Jeremiah is, is actually a contemporary. And he was actually one of the prophets that remained behind in Jerusalem. So we're talking about somebody who's literally living in the same time period, in the same age, dealing with the same people, looking at the same rubble, and he's speaking hope to the people. And he's saying, listen, I'll promise you, this rubble that you see, God has a plan. God has a plan. Fast forward to Nehemiah chapter 7, we see the plan. The plan is unfolding. Is it unfolded? It is unfolding. And I want to emphasize that throughout this message today. That, that phase one is complete. Now, it would be really easy if you think about phase one in Nehemiah and then just closing the chapter. Let's move on to 1 Peter. Let's move on to 3 John. Let's move on to the book of Revelation, God forbid. You know, let's move on to some other study. It would be really easy to say the walls are finished, the gates are hung, everything's in place. Stop. He could have stopped Nehemiah and it would have been a complete story. But it wasn't because the walls weren't the whole story. The people that would live behind the walls, that was the story. The people who would have the faith to help build the walls, that was the story. The greater story was not the walls, but was the people who would be about the walls. If you remember, if you have your Bibles, turn back to chapter 1 of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. We just kind of, I just want to relive this for just a moment. Because this is what happened back in the month of Chislev, if you remember. Nehemiah's brother comes and visits him, Hananiah, or Hananiah, comes to visit him and, and a certain men from Judah. And, and he basically asked them, how are things back home? I don't think Nehemiah anticipated the answer that he would get. He asked them concerning the Jews who had, who had escaped and 
who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. So he asked about the people, he asked about the town, he asked about the neighbors, he asked about the subdivision or whatever he was asking. He wanted to know how things were back home. And then Hananiah says this, and they said to me, the remnant there, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The first account that he gives, the first report that he gives, he says the people, there's shame, there's disgrace, there's injustice that's going on in the land. Your people, my people, your blood, my blood, it's not good. But then he keeps on and he says the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. Now again, what we have spent the first six chapters dealing with is the second issue, not the first issue. The second issue was to, to, to the, was to build the walls. But he had to do the first, he had to make that phase one before he could ever move on to phase two. But again, you notice the, the emotional response that Nehemiah has in verse four. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned he, he, for days. It rocked him. Now, again, we have been saying all along, how is God rocking you? How is God disturbing you? What vision is he giving you that you can't sleep, that you're mourning, that you're disturbed to the core of who you are? Is it for your family? Is it for your business? Is it for your community? Is it for the world, for the nations? Where is it that God is disturbing you and lean in on it? How is He crafting you, making you, working in you? And it's been beautiful to just hear this week, just two different people set up an appointment with me just to cast their vision. They just had to get it off their chest, what God was calling them to do and to be a part of. And so you, you sit here and you see this, this beautiful story unfold and the walls are rebuilt. Now go back to chapter 7. In chapter 7, we have this story, and it it, 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 kind of could just end there. Hanai enters back into the scene. He enters back into the story. Because what happens is, is the walls are in place. The gates are in place. But now it's time to see the kingdom established. Because let me say this, it was not about the walls. It was about the people who would live inside the walls. It was about people. It's always going to be about people, and it's always going to be about God's kingdom. It's always going to be about those two things. When you, when you boil all the meat off the bone, it's going to be about the people and God's kingdom. And when we can marry the people of this earth to the kingdom of God, it is a beautiful symphony at that point. It is a beautiful thing when the people out here catch a vision for the kingdom of God here, and they marry them together. And so what we have is we have this story unfolding in the first six chapters. Phase one is, is there. First six chapters, this development one, and it's really the building of the walls. Is really is what that is about. And we see this page-turning chapter seven come into play. And let me just say this. Out of all of the, the, the commentaries that I read, only two of them even address chapter seven. It's really largely most of it's a census report that's given. So it's not a whole lot of spiritual depth to that census report. They're counting donkeys, all right, at one point in there. And so there's not a whole lot of spiritual depth to that. But so this is really a chapter of transition. Chapter 7 transitions and bridges the two between phase 1, building the walls, and phase 2, which is the development of the people, building the people. 
Phase 2 is chapter 8 through chapter 13. That's really where you see the development of the people taking place. He moves from the walls to the people. I want to come to you and I want to say that God is challenging you. He's challenging me. He's challenging us. And I want to, I want to ask, are we inwardly ready for God, what God wants to do outwardly through us? Am I inwardly ready for what God wants to do outwardly through me? Am I ready for the future? Am I ready to be a part of the future? Am I ready to be shaping the future? Am I inwardly ready? Am I outwardly ready? Is my house in order inside? Is my house in order outside? Now think about that however way you want to. God has given you a vision. God has given us a vision. We're moving forward today. We're making those bold steps forward. Before you can move forward, you've got to know where you're at. Before you can become something, you've got to know who you are. Before you can go there, you've got to know where here is. And I, I just want us to kind of take two, two reality checks today. And if we're going to move into the future, we're going to need to understand re, in reality where, where I am inwardly, but also where I am outwardly. Inwardly, I, I must be before I can become. I, I must understand that's a principle from Scripture that you see again throughout that some of the greatest people that God could use disqualified themselves. Read just the story of Samson. One of the greatest prophets of that day, one of the, one of the voices of God of that day, but yet he disqualifies himself. And I could give you a list of others. list of others. But, but So am, am, am I who I should be so that I can become something that God can use? The, who, who are you? I think deeply about that. Who are you in your soul? Who are you? Where do you get your lead from? Where do you get your direction from? Are you the person you need to be so that you can become the person God wants you? To be? I think you're speaking very abstract here. I want you just to think deeply about this. Somebody t- told me this starting to work out at the gym. They said, Mike, if you go in looking for a trainer, don't go in to get the one with all the certificates. All right? The, the gym rat who hangs out there. Go in there, and even maybe he's not even a trainer. Find the person who is fit. Go up to that person and say, Make me like you. Find that person. That's the person who you want to emulate. And I wonder today, if people were to look at your life, your soul, they say, I want you to make me like you. I, I, I want to be like you. I, I want to become something for God. And, and what happens in this story is we, we find that the walls are in place, the doors are in place, and everything's moving forward. And then all of a sudden, there's this governor, this, this, this controller of the gates, the very important person. It was calling the... I don't know, the Secretary of Defense, if you will, for the city because this person controlled when the gates were open and when they were closed. And This person was a very important person. But in chapter 7, verse 2, look there, he says, I gave my brother Hanai and Hananiah. Some people have said that those are the same people, just different spellings of their names. We'll just, we'll focus on Hananiah uh, right now. The governor... Well, he, he gave his brother, Hanai, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. That's a pretty high calling. And why? 
Why him? Because he was far more faithful and God-fearing than many. See, Hanai was the guy who came in chapter 1 that we just read and gave him the bad news. Hanai was the one who was living in the rubble. Hanai was the one who came and gave him that horrible news of the people of Israel. Hanai was that guy. He was his brother. But at the same time, there was something different about Hanai. It wasn't some nepotism going on here because we see that this guy was qualified. What made him qualified to be the governor of the walls, the leader of the walls, the, 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 the head security officer, if you will, the mall cop, more than that, I, I would I suspect? Was it his relationship with his brother? I don't think so. According to the Scriptures, it was his relationship with God. It was, it was who he was. The word faithful is also translated in some other translations. He was a person of integrity. He was a person who was faithful. He was a person of integrity. But he also had a God fear about him. A deep respect about him. He had an intimacy with God Almighty. And who do you want leading with you? Who do you want leading the charge into the future? You, you better be Hanai, the person who is faithful, the person who is God-fearing, the person who can lean into the future. Otherwise, you'll find yourself trip, listen, tripping on yourself. And you may become your own worst enemy. Think about that. To the vision that God has called you to. If you're a person who lacks integrity, Deep integrity. If you're a person who lacks the fear of God and a respectful relationship with God Almighty, it's not the organizational skills of Nehemiah. It's not his vision casting skills. It's because he rallied around people and he had people with him as he was a man of prayer. He had people with him who were God-fearing and faithful people. I would hate today for you to be the spoiler, listen to this, the spoiler of your own God-given vision. Do you have the faithfulness and the integrity? Do you have the God-fearing relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have that intimate love relationship with Him? I read a book a few years back called Derailed by Tim Irwin. He said this, he says, if intelligence and character were the same, President Nixon and Clinton would have been two of the best but neither controlled their passions. See, you can be intelligent and you can be skillful and you can be talented and you can have the right networks, but if you can't control your passions, if you can't keep your character intact, then God may not be able to use you for the vision that He's given you. Hanai was a person that that Nehemiah could put in a place of leadership because he was, therefore he could become. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who feared God. Therefore he could become a trusted leader, commander, and chief of the place, of the people, of the gates. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 is a verse that from my days in college has been one of those verses that I keep coming back to. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. God wants to. He's looking in this room right now for men and women, for teenagers, 
whose heart is totally surrendered, given over to Him, so that He can in you do great things in and through you. And it's been my prayer for the, as long as God has called me into this vision and this direction of being a pastor and a leader of God's people, that God, I don't want to disqualify myself. John Quincy Adams was overwhelmed with homesickness at one point. From Massachusetts, his family, he was in Washington, D.C. He started writing letters to his children all long before the days of email, obviously, and texting and phone calls. He writes a letter to each of his children. He writes a letter to his daughter, and he says this about her desire for marriage. Daughter, get you an honest man for a husband and keep him honest, no matter whether he is rich provided he be independent, regard the honor and the moral character of the man more than all other circumstances. Think of no other greatness but of that of the soul, no other riches but those of the heart. What was John Quincy Adams saying? What was Nehemiah saying in his actions? He was saying, listen, if you're going to have somebody and you're going to marry them, if you're going to have somebody and you're going to put a, uh, in charge of something in the business or at the gates, you're going to have somebody, make sure they have character and integrity. And Nehemiah would say, God-fearing, deep relationship with God. Don't let the vision that you're mustering up be something you muster up. Let it be something that you attach because you have a attach yourself to because you have a relationship with God Almighty. Are you inwardly ready for the future? Can you say, "I'm ready for tomorrow. I'm ready to charge tomorrow because I am inwardly strong and well equipped for what's ahead." What about outwardly? Outwardly, are you ready? I think once we're inwardly ready, then we can define where here is so that we can go there. Because, again, it's not just about the moment and the time and the opportunities that we have today. It's not just living in the present. That's how America so much lives. We live for the sensation of the moment. But let's, let's get a little broader than this. Let's start thinking about the future. And if we're moving to the future, and we're building for the future, or we are here, but we're going there. We've got to define what here is as well as we've got to define what there is. And we've got to bring those two together. Are you, are you outwardly ready? Do you understand the big picture of God for your life? Are you ready for that? Because let me say this to you, and hear this loud and clear. For Nehemiah, the walls were not the end. They were the means to the end. Get that big, plain, and straight. I've emphasized the walls all along. Rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the walls, and that was a part of the vision. But it was not the end of the vision. It was a means to the end. It, they were building the walls so that they had beautiful walls, the best-looking walls in town, that their, their walls would trump any other walls in any other town. That was not the goal of it. It was not to make their life more comfortable or enjoyable. It was, it was much deeper than that because there was no people living there virtually at that time. We'll come to a moment later whenever we'll find how many people lived there. But there were many people who were displaced. The walls were not the end. The walls were a means to the end. Chapter 7, verse 4, look at there. When you, when you read there, he, he talks about 
rebuilding the walls, and the walls are, are, are in place. And he says, and the city was wide and large, but the people were in it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So again, they've, they've, they've taken care of the walls, but now there's no people in there. So you wouldn't exactly call him a good city planner, all right? Probably the city planner would say, okay, you get the people here, then we'll build the walls. We'll tax them to build the walls. But there's no people there. But they had to have the walls before they could have the people. And I know this may just just blow you away. Here's a life principle for you. You've got to prepare the container before you can fill it. That's the way it is in church. That's the way it is in in whatever it is. And that's the way it was here with Nehemiah. You've got to prepare the container before you can fill it. There there are 42,360 people living in in this town. All right? That's all. Now, that may seem like a lot, but whenever you think about the city of Jerusalem and who used to live there, but literally, that's all. And they had done a census that right down to the donkeys and the camels and the, and the horses and even the people. But the walls were not the end. Now, hear this real carefully. You might already see where I'm going. Grace Point Church is not about building walls. Listen, I am not a contractor, don't pretend to be a contractor, and never want to be a contractor. The walls for for us in the new expansion is only a means to an end. That's all it is. Just like the the book of Nehemiah, it was was a part of the vision. It was a necessary part of the vision. It was a part of it. Nehemiah built walls. That's what he did at this point. He built walls. But but the walls were to help rebuild the kingdom of Israel. Get that, all right? He built walls. But those walls were so that he could help build the kingdom of Israel. We are building walls. The walls help us build the kingdom of God in people. All right? Hang with me on this. Because I know, I know, I know, you don't have to have walls for a kingdom. Neither do you have to have walls for a church. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it makes it possible to do more with them than without them. The walls not being around Jerusalem, nobody's going to move back there. I have a space for my children in your Sunday school class. You don't have a space for my entire family. You don't have a space in the parking lot for my car. I'm sorry. I'm going home. I know it doesn't make sense. Why do you have to build walls before you have people? Why do you have to build walls before you have people? It's been this way. And it's just the way it is. It's just the way it's functioning. But I don't understand that it's not about the walls. It's about the people. And that's where we are moving as well. The the walls are here. We are here. But it's not about here. It's about where we're going there. In fact, I did a word study through the book of Nehemiah. It's interesting. Just jot these down if you want to. I did a study on the wall. This is the word walls. You do your own study. You'll find that the word wall is, or walls is mentioned 27 different times. In the first six chapters, it's mentioned 20 times. But when it goes to phase two, it's only mentioned seven times. It wasn't about the walls any longer. The walls were in place. It was about what? What would it be about? So I, I, just, I just did a word study on the word people. How often? Not knowing. I had a hypothesis, but I, I did not know. So I typed in the word and did the word search on, on people. People is used 52 times in Nehemiah. In the first six chapters, it's only used 13 times. In the last, it's used 39 times. See, the shift here, the walls was a means to an end. It was not the end. 
So I even did the word sons because they started talking about multiple generations and how one generation to the next generation to the next generation she used 67 times in the book of Nehemiah. In the first six chapters, only four times. But in the second half, it is 63 times. I want to say this to you again because we said it back in the Envision campaign. We are not building steeples to build steeples. We're building, we're expanding, we're moving forward, not so that we can just build and move forward. We're building it for people. It is about the people and what, what, what we can do in the lives of people, what people can do through, uh, through our ministries, through our church. In this, in this whole series alone, take, take this for example. We've had 34 people submit visions. 34 people submit visions that, that God is calling me in this direction. I love that. 34 people. If you have a direction that God has given you, then please tear off a sheet of paper, take a communication card and a seat pocket in front of you, write down the vision that God is leading you to. I love some of the visions that are already in place and underway. One of the visions that I see, and they didn't know I was going to mention this, but I love what, what, what God is doing through David and Melody Mills with families in our church. Because they had a vision a couple of years ago to just pour in and invest in families, couples in our church. And every time they offer one of these Mad About You classes, it fills up. They had a vision to have stronger families. I love it. Whenever I got an email first and it's become something that's becoming a reality, when Amanda Tice felt this calling, this urging to, to, to lead, lead a, maybe a gluten-free, healthier living kind of class. Lord knows America needs healthier living. And I thought, what better than to take care of the temple of God? And Okay, she's, she's going to lead this church, and now it's launching. Under great leadership, with great direction, I love it when the Sickles family brought the idea about hosting here at Grace Point on our campus, in our, using our facilities, using our parking lots, just opening it up to the autism walk and run once a year. The, their goal, they, they, had, they had 700 people last year come and do the walk and the run. I, I just love the, the simplicity of the vision to say, hey, let's raise up, let's make our community better, let's educate our community in just the autism area, just the special needs area. They've raised $17,000, helped 30-something families throughout northwest Arkansas. We've got a campus, we've got a ministry place that's not an end, the means to an end. And what I would love to see and what I hope to see into the future is I hope that over the next 10 years that these 34 God-given visions plus maybe another 60 plus yours and yours and yours as God continues to develop a vision that you'll have a place. This facility will not just be on Sunday morning but seven days a week you'll have a place. You'll You'll have an avenue that you can use. We're here but it's not about here. We're moving there. And there, here is the walls maybe, but there are people. And how can we invest more in people? And how can we make our community stronger?